Welcome listeners to part 3 of Ted the Caver. The cave continues to draw Ted and B back, but this time they have a friend with them. The thing is, they never told their friend Joe about what they heard and what they saw, and they themselves hold secrets from each other. B still hasn't told Ted what he saw on the other side of that cave wall. And well, with only two more episodes for this story, we're going to find out. A big thank you to my Earl Grey supporters. Chad Warren, Joss Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Paige Marcini, and Peter Raffaelli. And my White Tea Warlord, Matthew J. Bauer. Thank you so much for showing this podcast your love. I really, really appreciate your support. Now turn the lights off, the sound up, and fasten yourself to your cave wall and listen. April 7, 2001 After just a few inches of scooting, I could raise my hand off the floor of the squeeze until the passage was beginning to open up. I relay this information to B, and we both took a few seconds to celebrate. During the rest of the slide through the passage, B was cheering me on. Virgin Passage! And Neil Armstrong Territory! With the phrases he kept repeating. I was grinning ear to ear. Even though the passage was beginning to get larger, it was still slow going. I had to continue scooting along for another foot and a half before I could slide my arms underneath me to use them to crawl. At that point, I felt my journey was essentially over. I was able to sit up slightly and move the rock wall we'd erected several trips ago. Those rocks served as a somber reminder that a little caution could be wise. I shouted back to B that I was through. We both took a moment to congratulate ourselves on the success. B would likely never be able to squeeze through the passage and see what I was seeing, so I gave him a description of what the cave looked like. At this point, I only had my mini-mag, so I could not see very far into the passage. The end of the passage made a gentle right turn and seemed to go for a ways. I was unable to do anything at this point but sit, due to the size of the passage. All of the broken rocks we had pushed through Floyd's tomb were all around me at this point. There were no other signs of human intrusion. I had to wait until B passed me my helmet light to get a better feel for the cave. B used the pole we made to slide me to the end of the rope. Then I was able to pull all of my gear through the squeeze. The first thing he sent through was my helmet and light. After I got the light fired up, I was able to see our new section of cave. That's right, our cave. It was an exciting experience to see the results of hours of hard work over the course of several weeks. At this point, we still had no idea what the cave had to offer. The only thing I could see was the passage immediately following the squeeze. It was a narrow passage with a low ceiling. I would easily be able to get through it, but I would have to crawl. I began taking pictures so I could show B. I asked B how far he thought I should venture into the new cave, in light of the strange events that had occurred. For the time, he, too, toned down his enthusiasm as he recalled the noises. He slid the pipe through the tomb with a loosened tip on the end. He said I could use it as a weapon if I ran into an animal or... Well... He also told me to make sure we could hear each other 
as I progressed into the cave. Even though we were at least thinking of the possibility of running into trouble, we never really considered the fact that if I got into trouble, B would never be able to rescue me. And in fact, no one would be able to get to me for many hours. If I were in serious trouble, as in hurt, there was no way anyone would be able to get to me in time. But, symbolic of the whole experience, we were focused on our goal, and not the potential dangers we faced. So far, we had dodged the proverbial bullet. So far. I strapped on my gloves and knee pads, grabbed my camera, and began my adventure. I crawled through the passage pictured above, which was about 20 feet long. At the end of the crawl, the cave bent slightly to the right. I would have to climb up a gentle slope. But then, I would be able to stand by the end of the next section of cave. The next section was about 40 feet long. In addition to having a higher ceiling, the walls were a little wider than the section I just crawled through. Both sections were relatively straight. The floor was covered in rock, which crunched as I crawled, and then walked across it. The walls were basically the same as much of Mystery Cave except pristine. It was obvious no one had been there before me. Upon closer examination of the walls, I found two delicate types of formations. The first resembled several chunks of grated cheese tied together on one end, with the rest of the cheese just flopping down. The second formation was just tiny strands of rock, thinner than human hair. It looked pretty cool. I found several examples of both kinds of formations. I was not even through the second section of cave, and I could barely hear B. Cave passages are not very acoustically friendly. I shouted to him that I would go for half an hour then return. He said that would be fine and to be careful. Be careful, mate. Then, I proceeded to explore some more. I could walk nearly upright at this point. I was on the third straight section of the cave when I discovered a crystal formation on the wall to my right. It was in several layers on the wall, resembling clear candle wax that was allowed to melt and drip down the wall. There were several small stalactite looking formations formed by these crystals. The longest was about 4 inches in length. There would have been one much longer judging by the size of the base, but it had broken off. I looked to see if I could locate where it ended up, but I couldn't find it. The passages continued on for another 100 feet or so, before the cave opened up a little. It was at the end of a short straight segment of the cave. At the very end of the segment, the cave made a bend to the left and opened up into a room. Just at the point where the room began, there was a round rock that appeared to be leaning against the wall. This seemed odd, but singular formations are common in caves, so it is by no means unique. I had crawled and stepped over several large chunks of rock that fell down from the ceiling, but this one was more round than the others. Once past the rock, the room opened up to a height of about 15 feet. It was about 15 feet in width and about 30 feet in length. At the far end of the room, there was another passage leading straight out. As I entered the room, I had an eerie feeling. It was like that old saying that you feel like you're being watched. Once again, the excitement of the new find faded, and the memories of the mysterious side of the cave crept back into mind. Suddenly, I felt very alone. 
Fortunately for my ego, I was nearly out of time and had to get back to B before my half hour was up. I took several pictures of the room. I was going to just get a feel for how long the next passage was when something caught my attention. On the left side of the room on the wall, at about eye level, I discovered what appeared to be hieroglyphics. It was a single drawing that almost appeared to be just part of the rock coloration. It looked like very crude representations of people standing below a symbol. I was pumped. This meant that there had to be another entrance to this cave. Even if the entrance was closed or blocked, it might mean an opportunity to open it and get B into the cave. I took another look at the drawing to make sure I could describe it to B. Then I took some more pictures and headed back to B. When I got back to the squeeze, I could barely talk fast enough to let B know everything I had discovered. He was just as excited to hear about our newly found treasures. As we debated what our next move would be, I began to send my gear back through the tomb to B. I told him it would be best if we got someone else to come back with me, in case something happened. He agreed. Once I got all my gear through, I was faced with the wonderful task of having to negotiate Floyd's tomb again. Theoretically, a person should be able to get out of a passage he just crawled through by simply reversing what he just did. If he contorts his body a certain way to get in, he should be able to get into the same position to get out. In practice, this may not prove to be possible or practical. Such was the case with the tomb. I determined in advance that I would attempt to go headfirst back through the squeeze. I knew I could definitely make it by going feet first, but that would mean backing up all the way through the tomb. That would take a longer time and be very exhausting. My only concern in going headfirst was when I got to the end of the squeeze. I would have to get through the hole we had just made without the benefit of being able to twist my body. Oh well. I chose to go head first and deal with the exit when I got to it. I started into the squeeze very close to the tight spot, so at least I would have it over with soon. It turned out to be tricky getting through. I had to shift my hips to the right a little to get through, but I just kept plugging away at it. My hands were once again by my side, my head was turned to the right, and I was scooting with my toes. And once again, I was using my head as a gauge to tell me when I was at the tight spot, and also when I was past it. I seemed to get tired a little quicker on the way out. Must have been from all of the work we had done to get through. It was a little over halfway through when something bizarre happened. I was laying there, taking a brief break, when I heard a sound deep within the cave. It was the faint but distinct sound of rock sliding on rock. My blood froze in its veins. I couldn't move. I just lay there, straining to hear the sound again. Nothing. I quickly began to scoot toward the exit. I didn't mention the sound to B, but I did recall one of our earlier trips when B said he heard the same thing. The task of getting out of our hole turned out to be as painful as I thought it would be. I had to put my arms overhead and force my shoulders through the hole. I definitely left some skin behind as I slipped through. B helped me as I wiggled my upper body out of the passage. Then I could catch myself and ease my lower body out of the tomb. Oh, 
Finally, I was out. B and I shook hands and began to load up our gear. I was trying to listen to any sounds coming from the hole, but we were making too much noise gathering our stuff. As much as I looked forward to getting into the passage, it was a relief to get back out again. That is pretty much how I feel about caves in general. I love to go in, but I feel good when I get back out again. Something strange happened with the pictures I took in the new part of the cave. The pictures I took in the passage leading up to the large room all turned out just fine. Strangely, none of the pictures taken in the room turned out. Pictures taken before and after the room turned out great, but the negatives of the photos taken in the room were clear. Nothing. I remember what the hieroglyphics looked like, so I drew a picture to give you an idea of what I saw. April 14th. 2001. Only a couple of days elapsed before B found someone who wanted to explore the passage with us. B told me he talked to a few other people who couldn't make it because of scheduling conflicts. He said they really grilled him for information about the cave and about the passage. He would not tell them which cave it was to ensure that we explored it to our satisfaction before we made it known to the public. Even the guy who ended up going with us did not know which cave until we were very close to it, and he was sworn to secrecy that he would not reveal the location of the cave to anyone on the planet. I won't identify him by name, so I will just refer to him as Joe. Joe, B and I set out early in the morning to make sure we could spend all the time we wanted in the new passage. When we got to the cave, we were able to rig up and descend rather quickly. It helps when you don't have to haul half a hardware store down into the cave. Joe was impressed by our work. Even B and I took a minute to pat ourselves on the back for all the hard work we put in, and for the fact that we made it through. Joe was a rather thin caver who has had a lot of experience in caves. He said this might be the tightest squeeze he had been in, but it didn't bother him. I knew that physically he would be able to make it, since I was bigger than him, and I made it. He was just as excited as us, to get through and get caving. Maybe more. He quickly got ready and was waiting to hear what the plan of attack was going to be. I figured I would send him through first, since he was ready, and I would follow. B would pass our gear through and wait for us outside of the passage. B would give us two hours to return. That was nice of B to go down into the cave and babysit us. It does get boring sitting there in a cave. Now, with our plan set, we were ready to roll. It was perhaps irresponsible of us not to tell Joe about all of the unexplained events that occurred in the cave until after he had gone through. But what exactly do you tell someone? How many of the weird things did we have to reveal to him? We did not feel that we were in any danger, or we would not go into the cave ourselves. So, we did not tell him anything prior to him entering Floyd's tomb. Of course, when we did tell him afterwards, it was too late. I couldn't believe how easy Joe slipped through the passage. He said it was tight, but it sure didn't look like it. Once he got in, we passed him his gear. Then I started in. Even though I knew that I could fit through, it was still a slow trip through the tomb. You can only go so fast when you're scooting with your toes. When I reached the tight spot of the squeeze, I had Joe snap a picture of me, and I thought it would make a good photo. Once I got through, B started to relay my stuff to me. Then... Disaster struck. 
I had gone all the way in and turned around to pull my gear through. I had to kneel down and still crouch down low. I had just got my helmet, ironically, and light, and was turning around to feed the rope back to B, when I smacked my head on the top of the passage. <sighs> Human skull versus solid rock. Rock. One. I told B what had happened, so we sent my first aid kit through. <sighs> I was bleeding, but even worse, I didn't feel too good. I patched myself up then told Joe I didn't think I'd better continue. He looked like a little kid who was told that Christmas would be cancelled. Although I didn't like the idea of him exploring the cave without me, for selfish reasons of course. I wanted him to at least see part of the cave for making the trip out there. I told him how far to go and how long it would take. Then I sent him on his way. As I lay there I could hear him crawling into the darkness his light disappeared after the first turn. I rested a minute or two, then began my journey back through the squeeze. It was disappointing to get all the way to the cave, and then not be able to explore it to its end. Actually, it's killing me inside. After I got through Floyd's tomb, which was painful, I sat down and munched on a cliff bar with B, and I chatted. I told him I would pay for a motel room if he would stay overnight. Then we could see how I was doing the next day and make another attempt at the cave. I felt goofy for having smacked my head on the cave wall. B said he was willing to give it another try tomorrow. He was just as anxious to put some closure to this cave. As long as Joe would stay overnight, we determined to wrap things up the next day. Once this was settled, we just sat back and enjoyed the darkness. We could hear no sounds coming from the passage. The silence reminded me of the scraping noise that I heard last time we were out there. I brought up the subject with B. Since I had not explored the cave completely, I could not offer any explanation of what could be making the scraping noise, or the change of the wind strength, or the rumbling, or that terrible scream that we heard. Suddenly, we both wished we had not sent Joe into the cave alone. B went to the hole and yelled into it. Joe? No answer. Not surprising. You can't hear each other when you're very far apart in the cave. We nervously awaited any sound. Good sounds, that is. Joe-type sounds. The 20 minute time limit we had set passed. Then 25 minutes. I really had no desire to climb back through the squeeze. My head was still throbbing, and the squeeze looked tighter than ever. Still, I knew. I was going to have to make sure Joe was safe. Just as I was getting prepared to go back through, I saw a light deep in the passage. Joe? Joe. I called out. Nothing. Joe. Joe! Still, no answer. The light got brighter, and I could hear the noise of someone crawling across the broken rock that lined the cave. You okay, Joe? No, was his weak reply. When he got to the other side of the tomb, he said he was not feeling well. He quickly took his gear off and put them in the bag so we could pull it through. As I pulled the bag through the passage he began to climb back through, we didn't even get a chance to question him about what he saw before he was coming back through. He quickly slipped through the squeeze and the hole, and we finally got a look at him. He looked terrible. His face was pale 
and he was out of breath. The dust that covers the floor of the squeeze left its mark on his face and clothes. He had numerous small cuts and scratches on his face and arms, probably from his rapid exit from the cave. His eyes were open wide. We only had a brief moment to look at the change that had occurred to Joe before he started to head up and out of the cave without saying a word. While Joe and B started for the surface, I took a minute to gather our gear. Then I stopped to listen into the passage. I heard nothing. And I felt nothing. The wind had stopped. Part of me wanted to get out of the cave as fast as possible, but another part of me wanted to immediately climb back through the passage to find out what made this cave tick. Then was not the time, though. I still felt a little dizzy from my injury. At that moment, I noticed B and Joe had made good time getting up the cave passage, and I was left alone. Upon this realization, chills ran through my body, and I scurried to catch up to them. Once we got outside the cave, I figured we would be able to find out more from Joe. But when he got up to the final climb, he just unclipped from the rope and went straight to the trunk. In the light of day, he looked even worse than in the cave. B and I gathered up the rope band our gear and headed for the trunk. Joe said he didn't want to stay overnight because he felt terrible, and we believed him. So we headed home. We could get no more information from Joe. He just stared straight ahead. He was shaking like a leaf, and he said he was not cold. When we tried to question him, his answers were short, and I asked him if he saw the hieroglyphics. He said no. So we asked him, did he hear us yelling? No. Did he see the round rock? No. Did he see the crystals? No. He said he just went a little ways in and started to feel sick. Something was fishy about his answers. He would have had to have seen the crystals if he got far enough into the cave that he couldn't hear us yelling. But why would he not elaborate? The rest of the trip passed in eerie silence. Joe didn't say much else. We gave him a brief outline of the strange events that happened in the cave. He didn't reply. As we were dropping him off, we asked him if he wanted to go back in the cave. He shook his head and ran into his house. I tried to call him later in the day, and the next day, but only got his voicemail. April 28th, 2001 In this journal entry, I discuss briefly the feelings B and I had at this point. I would like to elaborate on those feelings and set the mood for this part of my journal. I hope I can successfully convey our exact thoughts and feelings as we contemplated our next move. If not, I'm afraid we will appear to the average reader as being ignorant, naive, or downright foolish. This cave represented to us the culmination of weeks of hard work, complete with an array of emotions. From fatigue to fear, anticipation to pain, from frustration to glory, to us, we were not just standing on the brink of possible destruction, but rather honoring an unspoken commitment. Much like a parent of a wayward child, we were not about to abandon our child out of fear of the unknown. 
like it or not, this cave had become part of us. And now, we must see this adventure to its fruition. Additionally, verbose explanations aside, we were being eaten alive with curiosity. Despite the overwhelming number of unexplained occurrences we experienced, we had to go back into this cave. What was making the rumbling noise? What caused the change in wind strength? Etc, etc. All the way down to Joe. What could have possibly happened to him? What did he see? Or experience? We had many lengthy discussions about what our next move would be. We kept coming to the same conclusion. We had to return to the cave. We could offer no possible scenarios that would solve the many riddles held deep within the cave. The only way we could hope to complete the puzzle would be to conquer the cave. And we were going back to that mystery cave. Two weeks after our trip with Joe, and we were on our way back to the cave. To prepare for this trip, we contacted the local cave rescue group and got permission to borrow their low-voltage two-way phone. The phone consists of two transceivers and a long spool of thin wire. I would then be able to unwind the wire as I went into the passage and stay in contact with B the entire time. We also thought it would be a good idea to take a video camera into the new passage. I purchased a case that would protect my video camera from dust as well as sharp rocks. I was more than willing to pay the cost of the case just to make sure B got to see the entire passage. My head was doing fine. I still had a light red line to mark the spot where I tried to break the rock with my head. I never went to a doctor, but it was still a very painful experience. I have thought about what would have happened if I had been able to go into the passage with Joe. He was a changed man after he came out. I have been calling his house nearly every day, trying to talk to him, but he won't answer his phone. B called his work and their mutual friend told him that Joe called in sick two weeks ago and hasn't been in since. He said Joe warned his boss he might be out for a while. I even stopped by his house twice. The first time it looked like someone was home, but no one answered the door. The second time his car was gone and there were no lights on. I hoped to talk to him before this trip, but it didn't work out. As we were rigging up the rope to descend into the cave, I felt something for the first time. I did not want to go into the cave. It was not a feeling of foreboding. I was not receiving some premonition. I just had no desire to enter the underground world of Mystery Cave. I didn't share this feeling with B at the time, even though I had no desire to go into the cave. I knew we had to. So I double-checked my gear and slipped over the edge of the cliff. Right from the beginning, it seemed like the cave did not want us to be there. Nothing went smoothly. Every time we tried to clip a caribina, or tie a knot, or attach something to the rope, we had to do it two or three times to get it right. Fortunately, we recognized this and made sure everything was safe and secure. As we slowly made our way down, we were continually bumping into the side of the cave, or stumbling as we walked or dropping things. We finally reached a point where we stopped to gather ourselves before continuing. Our load was relatively light, but we were taking forever to get to the hole. Finally, we made it. 
We checked the camera and phone to make sure they survived the trip. We tested everything and I gathered the gear I wanted to take into the passage. Then it was time. We looked at each other, but said nothing. Then I turned to face the passage. As I twisted my body to begin entering the tomb, I desperately hoped it would be the last time I would contort my body to enter this claustrophobe's nightmare. The trip through Floyd's tomb went smoothly, figuratively speaking. After I got through, it took several minutes to get everything passed through to me. I got suited up and tested all the equipment. The phone worked like a charm. I videotaped the squeeze and then the first section of the new passage. Since I would be unable to tape while I was crawling around, my plan was to crawl to the next section, then stop and film some more. I could video what I had just been through, and then video what I was going to crawl through next. That way, I could get each section from both ends. I was starting to feel pretty good about the trip. I felt a sense of personal satisfaction at being able to provide a way for B to see the fruits of his labor. It was awkward lugging the camera and unrolling the phone wire while trying to crawl. I knew it would be worth it though. The small formations were too small to show up on the video. With normal outside lighting, it would be no problem, but with my headlight as the only source of light, the effort was futile. The crystal formations turned out quite nice. They were easily large enough and made for some pretty good footage. I took advantage of the film stop to check the phone. It was comforting to hear someone's voice deep within the passage. We chatted briefly, then I unplugged the phone and prepared to continue. The phone resembled an oversized regular phone, more like the ones you would see in your movies. When I wanted to talk to B, I would just plug the phone into a special jack on the spool of the wire. The power source was on B's end of the phone, so it was always turned on. The reception was as clear as a normal phone. I continued forward. Even though progress was slow, it was steady. Things were going pretty good until I reached the round rock. Once again, I got a strange feeling, just like the last time. I looked around carefully, but saw nothing to be alarmed about. I proceeded to film the entire room. I got good shots of the round rock from all angles, and I got the walls, ceiling, and floor to the best of my ability. I even got some pretty good tape of the figure on the wall. It was difficult to make out exactly what it was on the video, but you could definitely tell something was there. After I taped everything to my satisfaction, I moved towards the end of the room to explore new territory. At the far end of the large room was a passage that led to darkness. The entire entrance was about a foot lower than my head, and it looked like it continued at that height for as far back as I could see. I ducked under the ceiling and prepared to see new sights. The walls of the new passage were darker than the rest of the cave to this point. The floor was made up of the same type of broken rocks. The ceiling had the same type of near-perfect arch as in the old section of Mystery Cave. It almost seemed out of place in the jagged atmosphere of a cave. I could only see back about 30 feet or so, where the passage appeared to make a right turn. I thought this would be a good place to check in with B. It took a couple of beeps before he answered the phone, but once he did, his voice was still crystal clear. It sounded like he might have been snoozing. Had I been that long? He said he was doing fine. 
and I could take as much time as I needed. I thanked him and hung up. His patience has been wonderful during this whole project. He has spent a lot of time just waiting for me whilst I explore the passage. I was still glad. He was still willing to sit and wait. I hung up the phone and started to film the new passage. Then, it happened. From behind me, I heard the scraping noise. It was loud. It was close. It was coming from the large room I had just left. I wheeled around to face whatever had made that noise. When I did, I lost my presence of mind and stood up at the same time. Crunch! My helmet crashed into the passage ceiling. My light broke and I was buried in the heavy darkness. Pain shot through my neck and down into my back. The helmet had protected my head, but my neck was nearly numb from the impact. Fear enveloped me and my knees began to weaken. I slowly and involuntarily slumped to my knees. I gently set the camera down as I began to see stars from the pain in my upper back. The scraping noise lasted only a second, and now the only sound I could hear was my own panic-inspired breathing. Not only could I feel the fear thick upon my chest, but the darkness seemed to hold me in place. I felt like I was vulnerable from every direction. I wanted to turn back and look behind me, and to the side of me, and in front of me. Everywhere I looked I saw black. Finally, I broke the stupor of terror long enough to reach for an alternate light source, the mini mag on my helmet. I twisted the light to turn it on, and when I did, I nearly cried. I had forgotten to put fresh batteries in, and now I could barely see more than a few feet. Still, it was better than nothing. I immediately began shining the light with all my might into the large room. I strained to get a glimpse of any movement in the room. Nothing. And that, folks, is where I'll end it for now. So, both Joe and B saw something that rattled them for weeks. We're getting closer, listeners, to the end here, and finding out the answer to the mystery that resides in those caves. With the next episode being the finale for Ted the Caver, I'm going to make sure that the next one caps off the tale, as well as produce a full version of all the episodes strung together, in case, you know, you want to listen to it in one big hit. I'm also a big fan of making it easier for my listeners to, well, listen. <laughs> So mates, stick with me Friday for the finale. If you have a couple of seconds, swing on by my iTunes page. You can do that by searching Stories, Fables, iTunes in Google and boom, I'll be there. Or even click the shortcut link in the show notes to get there even quicker. And a big honorable thank you to Star Eve 2099 and Christina Seabolt1 for their keen senses in letting me know when there's an audio blip in the episodes. Thank you so much, and I'll get those sorted. Your efforts are helping other listeners have an even more enjoyable experience. So mates, have a fantastic week, and as always, till next, we meet.